Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. If you've got a Bible with you, find the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, his fourth book in the New Testament, and find chapter 16. And when you do, we're going to park in verse 20 through 22 for a few minutes, but I want to make sure that we, we, we set the picture. Jesus was dead, gone. The world had turned dark. Life had been stressed beyond reason. People who had walked with him and seen him perform miracles, blind people to see, lame people to walk, dead people to live again. They'd walked with him. They'd seen it. They knew what had happened. And as they did, they had this picture of what the king was supposed to be. I mean, don't you have a picture of what America is supposed to be? I mean, in the back of your mind, don't you see what it's supposed to be, how it's supposed to feel, what you're supposed to, what you're supposed to do, what your tax money is supposed to go to, how your leader is supposed to act? Don't you imagine it? Don't you see it? Imagine those people then. They, they had been living under this tyrannical law of the Roman Empire at the time, waiting on the Messiah to come and rescue them from all that bondage and all of that fear and all of that strife and all of that stress. And there they were captivated and then Good Friday came and Good Friday came and the question had to have been to them, what's so good? Because at that time, there was no such thing as Good Friday. Everything they'd placed their hope in, everything they'd placed their trust in, everything they believed would happen, it had come to an end. And the way, the truth, and the life was placed in the tomb. And it was over. Half a day after being arrested without putting up a fight or speaking in his own defense, he's hanging on a cross and then put in a buried, buried in a borrowed tomb. Jesus, the Son of God, is dead. Their hope went to the grave with him. Now their future is lost, and so despair has set in. Their courage has evaporated. They're now cowering behind closed doors. They're in a locked room by themselves, way beyond mourning, in total desolation, waiting, waiting, waiting. If there's anything in life I despise, it's waiting. Aren't you glad cell phones came along so that you could do something useless while waiting in line? While you're waiting in line, you can text somebody. You can make a Facebook post about how you hate waiting in line. You can tweet, I hate the line at the DMV. And 48 people will retweet that with passion. They will hit their phone as if it is just an an, an axe murder. I hate it too. I don't like... You go to a restaurant. You've been hungry all day. You're ready. And, And you go up to the counter and... A little 15-year-old girl in her very first job looks at that table and she's wandering, looking at what table might possibly be open for you. Fear is in her eyes because what she sees in you is someone who's going to cower over that table and say, where am I at on the line? You're hungry. Your stomach is turning over. And that little girl is scared to death because here's what she has to say. A table of four will be about 45 or 50 minutes. 
and you know in your heart that's an hour and a half. She just has to say it. And you know what? You turn to your party and say, it's a wait. And you know what your kids do? Their blood sugar has dropped. So they are jacked up beyond measure. And it's like, dear God, deliver me from waiting. Imagine the one who you'd put all your hope in the one you'd put all your trust in, the one you'd put all your faith in, the one who was going to usher in a kingdom where you were going to be a part of it and it was going to change life forever and he's in the tomb and you are waiting. Now, if you go back to John chapter 16, here was the promise he made in verse 20. He said, most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. Men, you know those classes you go to where they teach you to stand by your woman and help her breathe? (laughs) You remember those classes? stupidest thing ever. <laughs> I'm standing there in the delivery room and, and that, that lady who taught me that class said, bring a tennis ball and rub her back gently with it. I tried. <laughs> Satan came out of her. <laughs> I will kill you if you touch me again. Waiting is hard, isn't it? But as soon as she's given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. I think there should be parenthesis right there and and say until there too in parenthesis. For she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has, has been born into the world. Jesus comes along and listen to me. You know what he says? Some of you have been living Good Friday for days, for months, for years, for decades. And life has been dark. And life hasn't been as you wished it to be. Your children didn't turn out the way you wanted them to be. Your weight is still going on. Your marriage is not what you desire it to be. Someone told you you have cancer. Your parents are failing. Your children are driving you crazy. Your job is exhausting you. You don't have a job to go to. There's more bills at the end of the month and there is money in the checkbook. It's not looking good and the weight is on. And Jesus comes, steps out of the tomb and says, your weight is over. Your weight is over. He says, you know what the resurrection means to you? Jesus comes along and says, I want to ask you a question. Do you know what the resurrection means to you? It means you can really live. John chapter 14, verse 19, Jesus makes this statement, because I live, you also will live. Now, here's the beauty. Jesus doesn't come to say, hey, 
you can just have this normal everyday life. I mean, Jesus, our friend, says we can really live on this earth. I mean, with this statement, Jesus is pointing to this life, but also to life eternally, a more abundantly today, eternally, forever. Has it ever occurred to you that Jesus is the Captain Kirk of life? I mean, how many of you are Star Trek fans? Anybody Star Trek fans? I hate Star Trek. All, I don't get any of that, so I don't get the, you know, all that stuff. But, but, but Captain Kirk makes this one statement that he is most famous for. This is why Jesus is the Captain Kirk of life and death. He went where no man had gone before. Think about it. No one had ever died, been raised to never die again. That's what Jesus did for you. That's why Easter's a big deal. That's why those of you who never come to church came this morning. Well, also to please your mom, but you came to church. You see, Jesus doing this is not a singular incident. I mean, it was Jesus blazing a trail we all followed. Death had been the point at which all hopes, all life were dashed. It was the end of the road. Time had come to an end. But, you see, until Jesus returned to life, now that changed everything. We now see death as a step toward never-ending life. When I preach the funeral of a person who has trusted Christ, you know what I'm able to say? They've just started. They've just started. I mean, I watch here. When I preach the funeral of someone that I have no idea, you know what my message is? You know what they'd say to you? Whether they're in heaven or they're not, here's what they'd say to you. Whatever you do, don't miss heaven. Whatever you do, don't miss heaven. You see, not just life, but life that never ends. Life that is the best life each of us could possibly have. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus died, suffered, shed his blood, allowed his body to be broken, placed in a borrowed tomb, and rose from the dead, and watch this, for you. He did all that for you. He took all the shame. He took all the sin. He took all of our sinful nature. He took every unpleasant thought you had. He had every evil thought you ever had, shoved on him, injected into his life, died for you, and the world grew dark. And yet he says, you can really live. Hmm. I find it fascinating. I mean, it's such good news. We live and die. Jesus died and lived. It's the most crucial event in human history. It's the turning point of the lives of those followers and the event that catapulted the faith even here to 2014. I mean, it was rather amazing. Has it ever occurred to you that the stone, stone was rolled away, not so Jesus could walk out, but so that the disciples could walk in? I mean, Jesus proved shortly after he had risen from the dead, he went and met the disciples and just walked through the door, walked in. And you know what he said to them as they were cowering fear and scared to death? He said, peace I bring to you. I don't know about you, but when I go home at night, you know, you know what I want? Peace. When I walk in the office, you know what I want? Peace. When I get in my car, you know what I want? I want peace. I want the joy that comes with knowing that I can have life, I can have it more abundantly. I know I don't have to wait anymore. Our old history ends with the cross and our new history begins with the resurrection. You get to draw a line in the sand and say everything in my past is past. Everything from that line forward is new. I was listening to Galen a few minutes ago talking about how she sat there that day and made that decision 
And I remember baptizing that little girl and I'm just thinking to myself, what a beautiful picture of this is my old life, this is my new life. My, my old life died on the cross and my new life came to life when that stone was rolled away and Jesus walked out of the tomb. The structure of the world fundamentally changed. Think about it. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection split time in half. Every time you put a date, you put 2014. We don't put 2014 A.D., but if we did, we know what we'd be talking about. We would know our time has come after he has split time in half. You know what Jesus says? You know why the resurrection is a big deal to you? You're never alone. You are never alone. This is amazingly good news. You're never alone. You can really live. You can go through life with Jesus, the Son of God, as your partner, your companion, and your friend. Here's the picture I always have. Walking into the doctor's office, he goes with you. Walking in to take that test that you're scared to death about, he goes with you. Going to the bank to try to get that loan, he goes with you. Going in the job, in the office, he goes with you. Walking in the funeral home, he goes with you. Walking in the courthouse, he goes with you. You see, Jesus didn't die on the cross just so that we could live comfortable, well-adjusted lives. I mean, his purpose was far deeper. I mean, I have people think all the time, well, I, I need Jesus to keep me from getting in trouble. Listen, Jesus didn't come to keep you from getting in trouble. Jesus came to get in trouble with you. That's good news. And by the way, he didn't say, tell you what, go clean your act up and then I'll receive you. Go, go dress up, go clean up, go, go, go make amends to everybody, go do all that. You know what Jesus said? Just come on. That while we were yet sinners, he said, come on. Let me pick you up. Let me set you in my lap. Let me wipe away your tears. Let me hold you. Now, come on. Let's, let's go live life more abundantly. Let's go live life the way it was intended to be. Let's go change the world. He didn't die so we could live comfortable, well-adjusted lives. He wants us to become more like him before he takes us to heaven. This is the greatest privilege and the immediate responsibility and the ultimate destiny. Take him and leave here with him today. So wherever you go, he goes with you. You ever been where you just felt you were alone? I mean, just nobody understood you. There you are, nothing to do, nowhere to turn. You know, it's interesting, over, over the course of time, there have been some great spiritual and ethical teachers throughout the course of history. Socrates, Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad. You know, the one thing they all have in common is this. They are dead. And don't get me wrong, their followers can read their ideas. They, they can implement them or try to, but they can't actually have them as their companion, walking with them speaking to them, directing their heart, giving them direction, helping them see clearly. Listen to me, friend. Jesus is alive and rose from the dead for you, which means he can be with us every step of the journey. I mean, the story is told of a, a young man by the name of John. 
John was uh, about 16 years of age when he was in an accident at school in, in Seattle. And, and he, had, he had an accident where in a science class, they had a chemical go wrong and it blinded John. For six months, John sat in his house, sat in his room, had the meals brought to him. And John just said, and let me quote, for the six, six months of my life as a blind person, I did nothing to improve my lot in life. I would eat every meal alone in my room. I had no room for anybody. One day, John's dad opened the door of his room and said, John, get out of bed, son. Winter's coming and you got to put the storm windows up. You do it every year and now's the time. Get off your lazy rear end. Get the storm windows out of the, out, out, out of the garage. Get on a ladder and put those windows up. John said, but dad, I don't want to hear, but dad, get the windows. Get to work. We got things to do. It's Saturday. John doing like most kids, bowed up his back. Bless God, I'll show him. I'll get on that ladder. I'll climb my blind self up on top of that roof and I'll fall off that roof and break my neck and we'll see what he thinks about storm windows in. So sure enough, John gets out and he stumbles and staggers and he finds the windows and he totes them around front and he finds that aluminum ladder and he leans it up against there and he carries the window up and before long, he's got every single window in place, come down the ladder and just think of Booyah! Huh. And his mom leaned over and said, John, sweetie, your daddy was never more than 12 inches from you. He was with you all the way. And you did what you never thought you could do. Listen to me, friend. Some of us are going through this life blindly not knowing what to do next. And Jesus comes along and he's not more than 12 inches from you. And he wants to tap you on the shoulder and say, I rose from the dead for you. See, whatever you go through, wherever you are, whatever task God calls you to undertake, whatever trial you're supposed to endure, because Jesus is alive, he will never ever leave your side. When I heard Kelly say, when I was a little girl, Jesus made me a promise. Listen to my friend. April 20, 2014, Easter Sunday, Jesus can make you a promise. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. From tears to smiles, from devastation to elation, from mourning to dancing. Can you imagine? It was April 2000 and, and a an awful automobile accident had happened in Japan. And a man had sadly lost his life. They took down the registration and they found the nearest family member close by. It was a brother-in-law who came by and identified the body, went home and told the family of his death. Soon the family had all gathered around. They called the funeral home. They were making plans. There was weeping and mourning. You can imagine the terror that had occurred and that unlikely death in that family. And as they sat around weeping and mourning and in, in horror, the door opened and in walked that 60-year-old shipbuilder they thought was dead. And he said, what's the fuss about? And everything in the room changed. Wait a minute. 
you're supposed to be dead. How did this happen? You're dead. He said, what do you mean? I let John at the office borrow my car earlier today. I took a cab home. What do you mean I'm dead? Can you imagine the elation in that room? Can you imagine the sorrow that had turned to joy? Death had been defeated. No, in that case, it had just been misplaced. But there the disciples were cowered behind closed doors. The way, the truth, and the life had been buried. The way, the truth, and the life, and all of joy had been buried with it. Hope had been lost, and the sky had grown dark. Can you imagine the joy when the way, the truth, and the life, when hope walked through that door and looked upon those men who were pretty sure life had come to a close and said, peace be with you. Maybe you've been waiting and Jesus says to you today, your wait is over. What does the resurrection mean to you? It means you don't have to be alone. What does the resurrection mean to you? It means you can live more abundantly today and eternally in heaven forever. You choose. Does the resurrection mean something special to you today? It should. Because he died, was buried, and rose from the dead for you. So I suppose the only question left is, if he was willing to die for you, are you willing to live for him? And you choose. You see, the Bible says that if you call on the name of the Lord, that's Jesus. There's no magical prayer. There's no magical pill. I don't have any magical water. I don't have any magical wafers. I don't have the ability to take away your sin, but he does. And you say, well, Chuck, I I want that. I don't want to be alone anymore. I want life more abundantly. I want it eternally. I want all that. Then it's really this simple. Jesus, will you forgive me of all my stupid, all my junk, all my silliness, all my sin? Come inside me and make me new. Draw a line in the sand in my past, my past. I want to live for you and I want to turn around and live for you all these all these days for the rest of my life. And I don't want to be alone. I don't want to wait anymore. I want to give you my life. And if that's your prayer today, all you have to do is say, Jesus, that's me. 